Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. On Twitter. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since we discovered Spotify for Podcasters, we feel like having options like video podcasts and Q&A lets us be more creative on another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome to On the Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. And this is an action-packed episode tonight as we welcome minor league outfielder Lamar Sparks, who spent last season with the Delmarva Shorebirds and the Aberdeen Ironbirds. We'll also get into the best of the rest for our top 50 list, which aired on last week's episode, and get into some big news from last week, which was the announcement of the 2022 coaching staffs in the Orioles minor league player development system. First things first, though, we want to welcome the newest member of our Patreon community. As some of you know, On the Verge, part of Baltimore Sports and Life Radio, has a Patreon group, and Bob is going to shout out the newest member. Hey, Lamar knows all about it, the Patreon members we have. Uh, but our newest one is Scott Pavis. He's signed up at the AA level, so thanks a lot, Scott. Glad you're thank with you, us. Thank you, Scott, for your support, and thank you to all of our patrons. So, We'll introduce tonight's guest. He's an outfielder in the Baltimore Orioles farm system. He split the 2021 season between the low A Delmarva Shorebirds and the high A Aberdeen Ironbirds. He is Lamar Sparks. Lamar, thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So just to um, look at how significant this 2021 season was for you, you've battled uh, injuries over the last few years, but managed to set a career high in games played last year uh, with 72. How significant was it for you to get healthy and get that time in last season? Getting healthy was a big part of it. Um, you know, as you as you know, the shoulder surgery, um, and then you know, I was getting ready to hop back into some games. I was doing some DHing and um, all that. Then I was hitting the face, and you know, that kind of held me out. So then, then you have to try and come back and get healthy from that again. You know, and so to jump into twenty uh, twenty one, you know, it was it was great. Um, got to meet a new a whole bunch of new people. Um, all that kind of stuff, some great coaches and all that, some great players, some great, you know, making friends here and there, obviously, as well. And um, so to have that kind of support around uh, somebody like me coming back from surgery and being hit in the face and all that, it was great. Um, and, you know, everybody that gets hurt goes through a period of time where it's like, you know, it's not necessarily getting down on yourself, but you're kind of like, man, I'm, I'm just I'm ready to play. I'm tired of being hurt and all that kind of stuff. So 2021 was pretty productive for me. Um uh, mentally and physically because I've yet to go through a full season and play as many games as um, you mentioned. So it was all around uh, a great feeling to be back on the ball field and play again. 
Um, I have to say that having this opportunity to talk with you after you were drafted back in 2017, which feels like forever ago, I know for us as fans, so I know for you, it's got to feel like an extremely long time ago, but uh, someone messaged me right after the draft and I was like, Hey, I cover South Atlantic league, uh, the old South Atlantic league that doesn't exist anymore. Um, but Hey, I need somebody from this Orioles draft who was nobody talking about, but you're really excited to see. And the first name that I told him, and I stuck with this for the last five years, was Lamar Sparks uh, when you were coming out of the draft. So uh, I was definitely super excited to see you out there on the field, finally at Aberdeen this year. Um, a lot of fans don't really know a lot of that injury history and your story there and what it took for you to come back. You know, What kept you going through and coming out on top of all this adversity? And was there ever a point where you kind of said, I don't know if baseball is in the cards anymore? Well, absolutely. You know, it's, uh, you know, you go through a bunch of different um, stuff mentally and all that. And, you know, when I, at first, I uh, had my surgery in 18. And, um, you know, when you have that surgery like that and you come back, it doesn't just it doesn't just heal automatically. You have to go through and do throwing programs. And especially for me, I, I'm not even I wasn't a pitcher. You know, um, I was in high school. And that's probably the reason why I did that is I was out throwing all the time and throwing off the mound and all that. So um, but when you have a shoulder injury that magnitude and all that, you know, it's um it take it does take a long time to come back from. So certain points I'd start throwing again and then just keep on bothering me and keep on bothering me. And I never could really get it to, um, uh, I guess good enough to throw. And so that was frustrating, you know, and then obviously, um, 19 and, you know, 20 hit and all that kind of stuff. 19, I was battling through and, um, going through it, still bothering me and all that. And then, uh, you know, like I said, I finally get back and feel like I'm throwing the ball well from the outfield and, um, getting hit in the face, you know, so it, it, uh, it obviously does get down, you know, um, it, you get down on yourself a little bit, but at the end of the day, um, if you really love his baseball, um, as much as, I mean, I guess any player that you see out there, we're going to keep going, we're going to keep striving and, uh, try and get better every day and try and get healthier every day and, um, get back into shape to be able to play. Yeah. And this organization has been through a lot of differences since when you were drafted in 2017 during the Dan Duquette era. Uh, are there any notable differences in your experience between that front office and the current one led by Michael Elias and company? Absolutely. You know, um, especially analytic and statistically, that's the number one thing. And um, my first year, I mean, the first one of my ex teammates uh, gives me a call and he, you know, he's, he became one of our coaches and kind of looks over the stats um, a couple of years back and he goes, you know, what we're going to start changing is um, this when he first started saying, you know, analytics, statistics, you know, this is, some of this stuff matters, you know, and let's take a look back and look at your previous season, your first year and what that and had a really high ground ball percentage. And, um, and so that went straight into the, uh, the cages and on field hitting and all that kind of stuff. And that's, I think they're doing a great job with um, all this now. So as well, because um, they're explaining it really well to us, why uh, the practice that we're doing, um, you know, what we're doing, why they have all the equipment, um, you know, that shows us our bat speed or shows us our angle that we're hitting at. It really does translate over um, uh, to certain levels and taking back now, I wish I would have been able to do it earlier. You know, I didn't, we didn't really know um, how all this would work until now they're doing a great job uh, explaining it and all that kind of stuff, you know? So um, I think, I think they're doing, I think we're in the right direction hundred percent. It's where everything, a lot of the players, you know, I've talked to obviously or my friends and all that too. And, you know, we, we talk and all that kind of stuff. And um, everybody's on the same page, um, you know, really buying into it um, and trying to figure this thing out and get after it, you know.
how hard is that to make a change to your swing and and uh, how long does that take to like really get used to the difference that you're making there? It doesn't really have anything to do with swing. I, I mean, it, I guess it does a little bit. Um, it's it's more so, I guess, swing path. I, you know, stuff like that. It's it's not even really swing path. It's we're trying to hit the ball hard. You know, it's in the baseball is going in kind of a direction where um, where I've, you know, this is my opinion where people say, ever you know, ground balls are not going to cut it. You know. Even ground, hard ground balls, you know, soft ones you can beat out. That's where that's not what they're doing right now. Is you're trying to hit the ball really hard in the air, and so that's the one thing that they're focusing on is hitting the ball as hard as you can in the air, just hitting the ball really hard. Exit velocity plays into that, and that's what's changed a lot. Um, it, you know, from um, average to OPS. Now it's like it's OPS is like one of our biggest things that we talk about is, um, you know, because you can prove, uh, let's see, I'm trying to think of a good example you can think of. I think Javier Baez batted, is one of the bigger names in baseball, and he batted last mm-hmm. year or something like that. He's low 200s but had a really high OPS, you know, and that which that means is he's hitting, yeah, he may be getting out a good amount of time, but he's hitting the ball hard, and he's, if he hits it, it's a double, it's a triple, it's a home run. You know, and there's some bigger names also as well that their average may not be. I mean, Tatis batted last year, I think 270 or 280. Yeah, it's a great average, but his OPS was over a thousand, you know. And that means a lot of the time he's hitting home runs or triples or doubles. He's driving in runs and all that. And so the biggest thing is knowing what kind of batter you are and um, what you're trying to do in the game and where the game is going. Like I said, is you know driving in runs, doubles and triples. You know, uh, trying to hit the balls in the gap and set on the ground and all that. So incorporating that into your game. I think that helps everybody. You mentioned exit velocity and OPS there, but is there a particular stat that you look at to measure yourself and evaluate yourself, or is it more of an accumulative set of numbers? So um, as far as stats, OPS, obviously, you know, we look into, I look into more of so now. I used to not be a stat person. I went out there and played baseball, you know, and tried the best, I, you know, did the best I can and all that. Um, but as far as statistically, yeah, I guess OPS is one of them. I always try and uh, keep my strikeouts low. That's another stat. Um, average, you know, average give or take. Um, I know when when I first got into uh, Delmarva this past year, uh, I struggled the first two or three weeks or whatever. Average was pretty low. And then um, I started hitting the ball hard and buying into it. And um, my average immediately started jumping up. So, um you know, but one of the stats that we took personally, I guess is where I'm getting out with stats that we took personally is every day we'd go into the clubhouse and we'd have a list of, um, of, but what it is, is if you hit a ball over 95 at a certain degrees. And um, so it take a statistic down, it was 95 miles per hour off the bat and it had to be between, between 10 and I think 35 or 40 degrees for, it's called a barrel is what we did. So, um, so that's a big statistic and we'd go in there after every day and, um, it showed the list of who has the highest barrels in, um, on that team or that week or in total and all that. And so for me, that was my number one statistic is being coming from hitting a lot of ground balls and, um, cause you know, ground balls don't, don't count as a barrel. It, like I said, it's in, uh, anything between 10 and 35 or 40. So that was, like I said, that's the biggest stat of mine that I'd come in there and look at and say, okay. You know, I hit a ball 95. Let's go look and see what degrees I hit it at. Okay, that's a barrel. That's my, you know, I I hit two of those today. That's a great stat for me. You know, maybe I lined out to left field or center field or something like that. But as long as I keep hitting the ball over 95 and hitting it between that degrees, 
that's my biggest that was my biggest stat this year is that's what my goal was this year is to do that as many times as possible do some damage right absolutely one ball that uh we saw you hit pretty hard last year was a home run off of noah Syndergaard when he was rehabbing for brooklyn um and you were playing for aberdeen what was that like for you to go up against a major leaguer like that on a rehab assignment and to take him deep um it's it's a great feeling obviously it's something i'll remember for the rest of my life uh you know so it was it was a great scenario you know i'm leading off the game um he got two two strikes on me and i was in protect mode you know and um my protect mode is you know not just slap the ball and play it's find a pitch that you can handle find a pitch that you can do damage on and still drive it and i was able to do that uh, so we saw you go from Delmarva up to Aberdeen, finished here in Aberdeen and uh, high A ball. One thing that I know the three of us are, are always interested in learning when talking to players in the system is the differences between these two levels. Uh, so going from Delmarva to Aberdeen, what are some of the biggest differences you saw in, in the pitchers that you face? Um, I mean, there's there's a difference. Honestly, to me, baseball's baseball. You know, um, I guess nastier pitches some. Um, when I got up to Aberdeen, obviously everybody's throwing – I guess a little bit harder, you know, Delmarva had some guys where we'd face, you know, once or twice we faced somebody throwing 95 plus when I was up in Aberdeen, we were facing guys who um, we'd see one or two guys that were under 95, you know, and, um, and several times I remember going, when we went and played in Brooklyn, um, that was, I'd see, we faced a guy throwing 102 or something like that, you know? And so you start moving up levels and um, you start seeing guys with, you know, more command, but also guys who may have a little bit less command, but they throw the ball really hard. And so I guess, yeah, the biggest thing for me was making that transition was learning um, and playing, I guess, just playing against uh, better pitchers and learning, you know, what they're trying to do and what counts, what they're trying to do early in the count, what they're trying to do in late accounts and, you know, stuff like that. So We had uh, Baseball America's Kyle Glazer on, and he was talking about how low A – there wasn't as many guys who could throw consistent breaking stuff or at least breaking stuff in the zone, but the high A was like where that really started going. Did you uh, notice that at all? Absolutely. Um, you know, in, um, in low A, they would, I mean, they didn't throw, I mean, they threw some curveballs or some slow stuff um, early in counts, but it usually was not for strikes. Um, so I guess when you got to later in the count is when they tried to put you away with, um, uh, with a curveball or a dirt pitch, you know, or something in the dirt, something, you know, nibbling the corner, something like that, trying to get you to swing. When you go up to Aberdeen, um, you know, or moving up levels, everything is close to the zone. Um, you got some guys that will almost throw backwards. They'll start you off with two curveballs that, you know, that are in the zone. They'll come back with a heater out of the zone, you know, stuff like that. You know, and you see that a lot more moving up is you, you in low way, you kind of get into, okay, he's going to throw a fastball at some point in this is bad, and I'm going to hit it. You know, or he's if or he puts you in a perfect curveball count, and it's like, okay, he's probably going to throw a curveball. I'm going to sit curveball or something like that. Aberdeen, you never know. You go up there, first pitch will be a curveball in the zone or you know out of the zone, and um, second pitch could be a changeup. You know, you could not you could not see a fastball the whole at bat. A lot of times in low A, you saw at least one or two fastballs per at bat. Yeah, we we've heard a lot about how you know since Michael Elias took over, everything's more cohesive. Seems like everybody's on the same page. What is the atmosphere like with this group of minor leaguers? Is it like a positive overall outlook on the direction the organization's going? Absolutely, yeah. Um, uh, everything's, I guess, the tempos. Um, they, he brought kind of a good tempo, you know, to everybody. Every we, every day we have something. Um, could be different, could be the same, but it's, you know, it's we're doing it in order. Um, 
and it's not too much. You know, some some people think that, OK, if you go out there and do a lot of stuff, um, whether it's hitting, whether it's throwing, whether it's outfield drills, um, <clears throat> they're going to get better. Well, I mean, this past year um, kind of being through it, it's it's not about doing too much. It's about doing it the right way, you know. And um, so I guess this past year when it came to hitting, um, we got just a good amount of swings and, you know, all that kind of stuff um, to where we felt like we were getting better. But it what we weren't overdoing it, and um, I feel like that's another great piece that um, that he's bringing. Also, is the coaching staff. Some guys are younger, some guys are older, but um, everybody has a certain point that they're trying to get at. If you're a hitting coach, you're directly working on certain stuff to improve. For say exit velocity with a specific person or bat path, or if you're a um, this past year we had a base running coach as well. He's specifically trying to help us with our starts and um, and figure out that kind of stuff you know, and we'll put pictures up there. Or if you're outfielder, we're specifically working on what balls we need to open up our hips on, what balls that uh, we take our eyes off of to get a better jump, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I feel like every we're doing everything for a reason and um, for the better as well. And speaking of coaches, both of the hitting coaches that you work with, with uh, in Delmarva and Aberdeen were let go. Is there any familiarity with the guys you'll most likely be working with this year? I think they said Zach Cole is going to be the hitting coach in high A and Brandon Becker in double A. Absolutely. You know, uh, I played with Brandon Becker um, for a couple of years and uh, him and I are friends as well. And, uh, you know, someone, somebody like him that you can kind of talk to and that really bought in because he bought into it before me. As soon as he became a coach, he bought into what they're doing, started showing it and all that. And so then, you know, I talked to him, he goes, Lamar, you know, you need to buy into this kind of stuff. This is this is what's going to take people to the next level, take you to the next level. So um, buy into hitting weighted balls buy into bat path, buy into heavier bats and lighter bats. It's, it really does help. And so, you know, having somebody like that, that I've played with um, that bought into it and said, you know, this is, this is the kind of stuff that's going to take you to the next level really does help. Um, and then as far as Zach Cole as well, and hi, Zach Cole this past year helped me a lot um, mentally. So like I told y'all or mentioned several times being hit in the face, um, he worked with me specifically when I was down and extended this past year, uh, working on getting my confidence back in the box. You know, he'd throw at different angles um, where the ball felt like it was coming at me, but it was still going to be in the zone. So I'd stay in there or, you know, we do different kind of machine angles to help that out as well as to simulate, you know, guys coming off the mound in different kind of ways. And so, um, like I said, all the, all the coaches and um, guys like that, they all have a specific, purpose and some people um i mean all of them will go out of their way to help you at the end of the day which i think is great as well so what does your uh, off season look like as you get prepared for next season and in your head as you prepare where are you thinking you're going to start you really have no idea where you're ever going to start you know it's 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 more so how you show up and um you know all that kind of stuff as far as my preparation um i think this year i've done a lot better job on uh lifting weights and going through my uh, workouts. I've really worked really hard this off season on uh, getting stronger, especially, uh, you know, so as far as my preparation for that, um, getting for me, it was getting a lot stronger and I put on some weight, um, swinging the bat harder, you know, all that kind of stuff. And um, I think that's going to help me um, at the plate more this year as well. And then as far as um, outfield stuff and that too, I've looked back at some of the stuff that um that I was doing these past years as well, as far as preparation for the season on like, you know, what balls that I didn't get to or what balls I felt like I really could have gotten to. And, um, you know, 
done some mobility and stuff like that to open up my open up my hips to get to those balls better and um, stuff like that. So, like I said, as far as my preparation, it was getting you know faster and stronger for me, and um, looking at what I didn't do last year and what, how I could progress and focus on it this year. This farm system, top ranked, depending on who you ask, most people will agree that this is the top ranked farm system in all the baseball. Absolutely loaded with talent. And specifically, there's a whole lot of talent in the outfield. And yourself, you are right there with these guys uh, as far as talented hitters, power hitting outfielders. How does that affect your outlook when you go out there and play? And does this level of friendly competition really fuel your development even more? Yeah, um, friendly competition for sure. You know, um, uh, I'm trying to think. Yeah, it's, it's a challenge, you know, having the best organization uh, or minor league organization, so-and-so, or, you know, they say in baseball, it, it's it's tough, you know. Um, uh, but be, being a baseball player, that's where, you know, you have to go after it. You have to show them at the end of the day, I'm, you know, I'm going to be better than that person. You know, I'm going to work harder than that person. You know, I'm going to do my best to get to the big leagues, you know. And um, so having that kind of competition, it, it I feel like it only gets better. You know, and so it only makes you it only makes you work harder and it only makes you really focus on the things that you weren't doing well to get better as well. What would uh, you say your biggest strengths are and what your biggest weaknesses are on the field? Um, my, my biggest weaknesses on the field is, I think, personally, is playing time. Um, I don't think I've had uh, yet all the experience that I um, need, I guess, so to move forward, you know, being out with surgery and then getting hit in the face. It, it 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 took away a lot of playing time for me. And when there's guys that have been drafted in 2017, 18, and 19, you know, those guys have all played those years while I was out those years. So as far as weaknesses, I guess that would be my biggest weakness is not having as, as much experience and facing some of those better pitchers and seeing some of those better curveballs and change-ups. As far as strengths, um, I think I have the t- I think I have a lot of tools. Um, at the end of the day, I think I have, like I said, yeah, some really good tools and um, – so, but now it's time to figure out how I use those tools. And as far as experience speaks, I need to, I need the experience to learn how my tools work and how to keep progressing them to get better. Very cool. Love to hear it. Um, we want to end kind of with a little bit more like rapid fire, kind of a little more lighthearted uh, questions here for you. Um, okay. The first one, there's two outs, bottom of the ninth games on the line. You're in the batter's box. Which one of your teammates is the last guy you want to see on that mound facing? Which one of my teammates do I want to? I have to say, there's a couple guys that are extremely funny, especially up in Aberdeen. I think if I saw Shelton Perkins on the mound, Perkins on the mound, I'd start laughing. So I would not like to see him. Um, I'd be hard to take serious. Another, I guess, one of our toughest um, guys this year that I got to watch a lot was Brandon Young. Um, he he did really good this year. Another guy, um, Feliz. Mm-hmm. Um, has some nasty stuff. You never know if his fastball is going to cut or it's going to, you know, two seam or you just never know. And he's got really good stuff as well. So, yeah, I think, I, th- I don't think I'd want to see Brandon Young. I can't, I, off the top of my head, you kind of put me on the spot. I got to really <laughs> think about who else. Um, and especially in Aberdeen. Oh, man. Yeah, I, I guess my, my pick would be Brandon Young probably as of right now. If I had more time to think, maybe I could come up with somebody else, but. He's a he's a big favorite of ours, Brandon Young. So no no shame in that. Um, what was your favorite player to watch growing up as a kid? Kirk Biggio. Uh, I liked the way he played the game. Um, like I've been you know from Houston, lived in Houston a lot of my life. So you know always 
got to watch the Astros, got to go to the games, got to go to, you know, playoff games, World Series and stuff like that. So getting to but getting to watch somebody uh, like Craig Biggio, how hard he plays the game, you know, how uh, what he does to people around him, um, you know, and how he helps people around him and all that kind of stuff. Um, that was probably the um, getting to watch him was probably one of the best things for me is seeing how to hustle out every ball. Um, another guy that I've uh, watched now too, obviously, is Mike Trout, and he does the exact same thing. Hustles out every ground ball. Doesn't matter if he hits the ball five miles an hour. Doesn't matter if it's the ball 105 miles an hour. You know, he run, he runs hard and plays hard. Um, you know, and some of the guys that I've grown up watching, I like to watch the guys that play hard. So Craig Biggio, like I, said, I think he was one of my favorites growing up, and I can still remember to this day watching him walk off the field to retire. You know, and uh, so. Hey, you might get to face off against Kevin at some point in ALEs. Yeah. Is there a current big league pitcher that you've dreamed about stop stepping into the box against? Dream stepping in the box against? Um, you know, everybody wants to – they want to see how they do against uh, some of the best pitchers in baseball. So I'm not sure that I dream about it, but I've I've always wanted to step in and see what it's like to see somebody like Noah Syndergaard – I mean, not Noah Syndergaard, uh, Jacob deGrom. Um, Jacob deGrom has one of the most lively fastballs, you know, has some nasty stuff. And, um, it's not necessarily that I just want to get in there and try and, you know, hit a home run or something like that. I want to go see what he's got. I want to go, you know, that's what my biggest thing is. I want to see who the best guy is and I want to see, you know, you know, what they got and all that kind of stuff, I guess, you know? And so I've always wanted to see, you know, how's it, how, what's it like him coming down the mound, throwing as hard as he does, you know, his, He's tall. I want to see how far he comes off the mound and all that kind of stuff. And um, a couple other guys I can think of is uh, – shoot, I forgot his name. It'll probably come to me here soon. <laughs> no worries. Um, what's Who is the best hitter in the system that you played with, not named Lamar Sparks? Um, hitter? Played, I saw Adley hit a couple times. Um, I didn't get to see him a lot. Um, I think people, I think the hype around Gunner is insane, but I think until you really go watch him play that he, he really is the real deal. Having a 19 year old up in Aberdeen this year. Yeah. And Delmarva, he went off, but may have struggled a little bit in Aberdeen. Um, it, it, getting to watch him go out there and how hard he hits the ball, how hard he plays, you know, live arm at shortstop can move all that kind of stuff. I don't think that people really appreciate him until you have played alongside him. So I guess best, best potential and all that kind of stuff, hitter and all that. Definitely, definitely Gunner. He's, it, it, he's a freak. <laughs> Crazy. Like that. Um, all said and done, he's going to be, I think when it's all said and done, he's going to be really up there with, you know, competing with Adley in the number one spot. Nice. Uh, is there any Maryland food items that have you have, uh, instituted into your own diet like uh, crab cakes old bay anything oh, like that uh, you know being down here in texas we're right we're right next to louisiana so we experience all the cajun and all the crawfish and all that kind of stuff and some crab and all that um, shrimp but going up to maryland and getting some of the crab that they have there absolutely i lived with a host family and they took me out one night to this all you could eat crab place and i think i ate for an hour and a half I don't think that's <laughs> so they got some they got some really good crab out there nice um Someone that's never met you, how would you describe yourself and your gameplay in in one word or, or one phrase? In one word, or hmm. I had an old coach. 
that used to call me this word that uh, uh I can't remember the word. It was either slick or something like that. Or so, I don't know. But um so as far as I guess that um I really don't know. I just I I just go out there to play baseball and if if it's electric, it's electric. You know, some people have said electric. Um, for myself, I think I like I said I'm I'm toolsy. I guess my word is very toolsy, you know. Um so I guess, yeah, I guess that's the best word for me. If somebody wants to go watch me play, he's got a lot of tools. He's toolsy. Very cool. Last one. Um, first of all, being in Texas, you're fo- I'm assuming you're a big football fan, right? Yeah. Cowboys, Cowboys, maybe? Absolutely maybe? not. Oh, no, darn it. Come um, on. Absolutely <laughs> I thought I was going to have an ally here. Um, all right. So, first of all, who is your favorite team and who do you got in the Super Bowl, Bengals or Rams? Rams. I got the Rams. Uh, favorite team, obviously, Texans. Um, right. Like I said, growing up in Houston most of my life, and um, you know, so I guess Houston, the Texans, yeah. But I think the Rams. I honestly kind of would like the the underdogs. I think the Bengals, Bengals would be the underdogs. I kind of like them to see win. Uh, but I don't know when when o, when OBJ gets on his uh, gets on his stuff, and he's been unstoppable over there, and Stafford's been unstoppable, and uh, so it's going to be scary. But I think. Uh, I think both of them have a good shot at winning. Well, Lamar, we really appreciate it. If you don't mind taking one listener question here before we sign off, um, it's one here from Eric Garfield. Speaking of Gunnar Henderson, what was the 2019 Rookie League team like? They won the league title going away. Did you notice something special about the group? Absolutely. You know, I had guys like – I think another guy under the radar right now is Daryl Hernandez, And I got – I got um, to, you know, be alongside of him when he came out. And he was, you know, 17 years old, and I got to – you know, tell him like it was his first time struggling in baseball. And I got to sit there and tell him like, Hey, we're going to struggle in baseball, you know, kind of said to Gunner the same thing. Um, and, but Gunner obviously did well. Um, he's real, he's real hard on himself. You ever go watch him play? He's, he's hard on himself. He's a great ball player. Um, but Gunner, Hernandez, I got to think about who else uh, was that year, but um, there, there's a, there's some big names and, um, in that group that are going to keep rising up. And I think obviously Gunner, but I think another one's going to be Daryl Hernandez that is just going to jump out of nowhere. Last year in Delmarva, he impressed me with still how young he is and how hard he played. And, um, and uh, went out there with every game with whatever he's got at shortstop or wherever he was playing second base, you know, and he can, he can hit, he can hit. Um, He's got some power in that swing too. So I think he's going to be one of those names that jumps out at people here pretty soon. Love it. Well, Lamar, thank you so much for joining us tonight and best of luck in the 2022 season. I appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me again. Thank you. Good luck. Thank you. Yeah. That was Lamar Sparks, outfielder in the Baltimore Orioles farm system. Great to hear from him, get his insight uh, and get to know him. And uh, thank you to Pat Sparks, uh, Lamar's dad, for helping to set that up for us. Yeah. Big time patron supporter of this podcast, which is amazing. And uh, Lamar's a good kid, and he's what we kind of based this episode around, right? The best of the rest. He's definitely one in that mix. Yeah, I, I definitely, you know, like I like I said at the beginning of that interview, and for anyone listening that's big in you know, the minor league baseball prospect world, if you guys remember uh, John Cavano, um, sat, Notes from Sally was his website. Unfortunately, passed away about a year or so ago. Um, it was John who reached out to me right after that 2017 draft and was like, Hey, I know you, co- you covered the Orioles minor league system. 
you're in tune with these guys. Who am I watching when they come up to, to Delmarva? And without hesitation, I, I said Lamar Sparks because, like he described himself, toolsy. Um, I said, this is a guy who's got all the tools, uh, high school, high school out of Texas ranks. This could be a guy who, who comes up uh, in the big leagues. And unfortunately, just so many big injuries have wiped away his time. But he seems to be back on track now, hopefully a strong, full 2022 season. And we see him hopefully in the year and at least Bowie next year. Yeah, I mean, he, he got a lot of good experience finally this year. And who knows, with the full season and a full offseason of development, he could take a big jump next year. He's already yeah. Rule 5 eligible as well. Like, that's yeah, how that's long crazy. he's been in the system. <laughs> and he hasn't played games. So, yeah, a guy that was still in Aberdeen Delmarva, not because of, of lack of talent. He's just like – I've put him in that same boat as like a Felky Peralta as well. Surviving this regime change, as Michael Ash regime still strongly believes in him, moved him up the ladder last year. So it, it's – no shortage of talent there. This is time. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Again, we really appreciate hearing from Lamar. And we'll go in now to the best of the rest. Um, Bob wrote an article over at BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com that came out last week on the heels of the release of our top 50 prospects list, which we ran down on our last show. The full top 50 is over at BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com, as is the best of the rest, which was really framed as five players that could make our mid-season top 50 when we updated this summer. And I'll start. let Bob start this out. This is a pretty interesting group um, and has some interesting arms in it. Oh, yeah, for sure. Especially if you look at that Dominican Summer League team from from uh, last year. There are a lot of young kids, teenage starting pitchers who made some noise, with at least statistically. I mean, I guess it remains to be seen what their stuff looks like, but the reports are pretty good. You got that group of Cesar Alvarez, Anthony Murillo, Davy Cruz and Moises Chase, I think one of these guys, at least one of these guys, could make that big jump, kind of like Jim Gene Pink, geez, at least I can't talk. <laughs> Gene Pinto did last year. Um, I, my, I think uh, Eric Garfield had mentioned he thinks Cesar Alvarez is the best bet to be that guy, and perhaps he's right. I have heard good things about him, but I just feel like one of these guys is going to take that to the next level and really jump out at us. Yeah, I think that group in that article was pretty much the perfect group. Because it's definitely even Murillo or Murillo. Um, apologies if we're not pronouncing yeah. that right, but <laughs> yeah, uh, well, we will learn. Um, yeah, he's got a nice large frame that I think you could see developing into a good, durable, strong arm. But they're also young. But I just think, based on the reports and everything we do know, someone from that group is going to break out, and I, I think it's definitely a solid group. Are they going to be as good as good as Gene Pinto? I don't know. That's that's a very hard hard uh, high bar to to reach there, but. Definitely those are four names I think you want to circle uh, on those rosters when when the season starts this year. Focusing on another pitcher, uh, another name you had highlighted here was Carlos Tavera, who was the first pitcher taken by the Orioles in the 2021 draft and the only one within the first 10 rounds. Um, What do you see in Tavera that makes you think he could be a breakout candidate? Honestly, it's just, I think, well, first of all, Matt Blood, I think, kind of singled him out on uh, Dan Conley's piece in The Athletic and talked about how his fastball is a tick or two higher than a lot of people had reported. I think he was at least touching, if not sitting, right around 94, 95 in a little bit of time he had last year. But really, for me, it's just the fact that the Orioles had the confidence to take him uh, in that first 10 rounds or so. I think he's like only one of two or three pitchers that they've ever taken before the 10th round. And that uh, just shows some confidence and they know what they've got because they're pretty uh, conservative when it comes to taking guys that they at least have a, a high floor. So to me, that stands out. And I think the Orioles are a little higher on him than uh, a lot of people may be. 
I I had Tavera in my top 50. I think he was right at 50 on my personal list. Um, we heard right after the draft that actually that fastball velocity was a tick or two higher than what a lot of those public reports were, were saying about him going into the draft, but you didn't really get a whole lot of good looks at him in Delmarva. It was always like that awkward bird's eye view camera angle that Delmarva has, even though they have a perfectly good center field camera angle that they just didn't want to use. Uh, come on guys, help us out. Um, but like, yeah, you look at his stat line and there was a lot of walks. He walked a lot of guys. And I think Matt Blood mentioned that it's that's what's going to carry him or hold him back. But you look at his college career at UT San Antonio, 148 strikeouts and 104 innings over those last two years. So and he struck out, uh, I think, at least one. I lost it there. 13. He struck out 13 guys in 12 innings with Delmarva this year. So he got his first taste of pro ball. I'm excited to see what he can do uh, next year for sure. Yeah, there's no doubt with Tavera that the stuff is interesting, and I think that cutting the walks back is really going to be critical for him. But I think for you know a fifth rounder coming out of kind of a smaller school or at least not a major school, there's definite upside there. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think you know he's a guy that I think a lot of the guys that the Orioles have taken have been like they got one or two really solid pitches that could work well out of a bullpen. I think Tavera has the potential to be a starter long term. He's got three. Decent pitches that, and the Orioles are always uh, confident in their ability to develop a changeup. At least that's what we've heard before. So he could be one that uh, gets slept on a little bit and makes that jump. Focus now on two young infielders that are on your list. And I'll start with Moises Ramirez, who's likely to be at Low A Del Marva in 2022. Uh, just missed our top 50. Interesting set of tools here, especially with the power. One of the things that held us back a little bit, I think, in keeping Ramirez off our mm. list was the fact that that power came with a really low walk rate, uh, around 3% down the Florida Complex League last year. And I'll let Nick start with Ramirez here. You know, interesting to see a player with this much power at this young of an age, especially in the Complex League, where we don't necessarily see a lot of home runs. What do you expect from him to jump to Delmarva? Uh, It's going to be his first big test. Uh, And you're going to see a lot of guys just like Ramirez who – have those impressive tools who had good years in the FCL last year, but you know, there are a lot of questions because they're still young. They're still very raw and they're going to be 19, maybe barely even 20 years old playing in Delmarva next year. So I think we talked about him a little bit on, it might've been the Patreon only episode uh, last week that we recorded after our top 50 show, which $3 a month tomorrow, Tuesday is the first of the month. So you can come join the Patreon. Perfect time to join. Um, You know, we talked about, he's a big kid. So like, is he going to stick at third base? A uh, lot of great clips we saw out of him playing defensively at third base, but is he going to stick at third? Is he going to have to move over to first base? It's a big, beautiful, powerful swing there he has, but you know the walk strikeout numbers weren't exactly what you wanted to see down there. Um, so I, I, he's the guy that I know we had questions about on some lists. He's pretty high on our list. He didn't crack our top 50. I'm in wait and see mode with Ramirez. I got to see what he does in Delmarva first, but the tools are interesting and the tools are definitely there. Yeah, absolutely. It, to me, it's like if he can do what he did in FCL again, even if it's only a 3% walk rate, that hit tool seems to be pretty pretty decent, and there's some power there for sure. Definitely a big-bodied kid that can add even more. But for me, I want to combine his stat line at Delmarva with the eye test. I just have no idea really what to expect to see him at the plate. I see the numbers, and you know the batting average and the slugging percentage sticks out, as does the on-base percentage, not in quite as good of a way. But if you see him up there and he looks confident and just, I want to see why his walk rate is 3%. I feel like 
three percent no matter what is not great but there could be other reasons that uh you know he might have good patience but if he's going to get a ball that he can hit he's going to hit it so it remains to be seen yeah, a lot of questions are going to be answered about ramirez who actually will turn 20 on tuesday so an early happy birthday to him but uh right now listed six two two eleven when you're looking at someone that's 20 years old Chances of them sticking in position at that size already might not be great, but we really haven't seen defense. And I think that Delmarva is going to be the first big test of that to see, okay, you know, how does his range look? How does his arm look? Um, you know, the power Purdue stadium isn't always the easiest place to hit home runs, especially out of the power alleys. But if he's in that kind of home run power in the complex league, I would think it's going to translate to low A, but we're, as Bob said, I think we're going to learn more about his overall plate approach next season. Yeah, definitely. Sure. We get um, shout out to Eric Garfield as we do pretty much every episode there. Um, we get those guys that he had all the fun watching last year. Next year, this coming season, it's the league season starts in a couple of weeks. Um, like now, it's our turn. We get to watch these young international prospects have fun in Del Marva, and I I'm super stoked. Ramirez is definitely near the top of that list for me for guys that I'm excited to watch. The fifth player in this list is someone that you may have heard Kobe Perez mention on our show a couple of weeks ago, and that is Frederick Ben Cosme, a young infielder who spent last season in the Dominican Summer League. Ben Cosme's stat line really started to catch my eye late in the year when you see someone who was 19, um, 19 years old putting up, uh, actually 18 years old, putting up um, an OPS of over 800 uh, down in the Dominican Summer League. Kobe Perez had some good things to say about him, which Bob mentions in our piece. Bob, looking at Ben Cosme now, what kind of player are you seeing? To me, it looks like just a very well-rounded guy who can has speed, a little bit of power. I mean, he batted 310, like you said, 816 OPS, six doubles, four triples, two home runs, 10 stolen bases. He was really just doing a little mm-hmm. bit of everything. I mean, he, he didn't he walked twice as much or more than twice as much as um, Moises Ramirez at around 7%. It's still slightly below average, but that's definitely respectable. And he barely struck out. He only struck out 11.4% of the time. So that's a pretty encouraging sign. I feel like those are the two stats that I look at the most in the DSL as far as like just their overall approach at the plate, or at least, I don't know, it just seems like that is an indicator of where things are going to maybe head. And he had 125 WRC plus, so 25% better than average. I think he's a guy that can play all over the infield. I Eric Garfield, this one's this one's on you next year. FCL, you can tell us what you think. Yeah, uh, that, that's a name. Like uh, I'm starting to fall in love. Uh, I'm not gonna lie. Like I get a little giddy when uh, whatever we mention his name, just because he plays all over the field. You mentioned he doesn't strike out. Speedy, athletic. Uh, I love the the clips that he puts out himself because you know, unfortunately, we can't get down to the DR. But uh, a lot of those kids down there hook us up on Instagram. Thank you all. Keep doing that. Um, he just looks like a guy that, you know, I envision him when he as he moves up the ladder being a guy where he's in the lineup every single night. You may not know where he's going to play defensively, but he's going to be there. Uh, and he, if you need him to bunt, he's going to bunt. If you need a single, he's going to get a single. If you want him to get a double, he's going to get that double. Uh, just kind of a do-it-all utility player. Like, is the ceiling super high? Maybe not. But, you know, he's a lefty with his skill set. I think he's going to play around for a long time. And, he got that shout-out from Kobe Perez on our show, unprompted. So there you go. I'm not going to lie, though. When he first said Ben Cosby, I'm like, wait, who do we have in the system named Ben Cosby? <laughs> I didn't realize that was just his last name. 
effort. I've watched some uh, clips that he has posted to his own social media too, and that really is a pretty left-handed swing. I mean, you see where he is able to generate probably some good exit velocity because it's a very smooth stroke coming from the left side. And, you know, looking at height weight listings right now, six foot 160, there's probably a little bit of projection there. So I'm wondering as he, you know, gets older, if that home run power is going to come around a little bit. I just enjoyed, he put out a, a video after the season of some, some big highlights. And my favorite part was he had a lot of clips of him bunting which I feel like that takes confidence and like a lot of just swag. That's like, you know what? I'm an awesome bunner and watch me explode at this box. So I, I respect that a lot. I'm not going to lie. I know that's you're not supposed to say you like the bunt, but I like his bunts. Infielder Cedric Mullins could be exactly. that style player. So we have, you know, there's like composite clips going around, I think on YouTube mm-hmm. of like compilation of Javier Baez tagging out base runners. Is the next thing to be Frederick <laughs> Ben Cosme bunts? Oh, I'm yeah. for it. I'll watch it. <laughs> Put it on a loop. So you can head over to BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com to see Bob's full list of the five players that could make our midseason top 50, which is about six months away. So we've got a lot of time to see how that unfolds. In the meantime, though, we wanted to expand the conversation beyond that list and mention a player or two that we think is uh, worthy of sort of top 50-plus consideration right now and perhaps uh, make that top 50 when we get into the summer. And I'll let Nick start this out with his pick. My guy. Oh, um, I went with Trent and Craig here. Like something just keeps pulling me towards Craig. Juco pick, 20th round, very last pick for the Orioles in last year's draft, but – he just seems the hype continues to just grow and grow a little bit. I think he's a super interesting player, power, speed, great defense. We saw all those clips last year, just fantastic diving plays out in center field. Um, I think I mentioned on our top 50 show, like with John Rhodes, that's, I like John Rhodes so much because all the raw tools are there. You see all the pieces when you watch him play. It's just a matter of, can he put all those tools together? And when I was thinking about it more today with Trent and Craig, I keep thinking like a, a Zach Watson type comp here not as far as play is concerned but you know two years from now we could be talking about trending craig as you know this guy who's just outside of our top 30 ha- coming off a big year and now we're like all right if, if he has a decent start to the year in triple a this could be a guy who's in the major leagues um so yeah that's definitely someone that i'm going to keep an eye on because he spent all of last year in the fcl so we didn't get to see him in delmarva probably because he came out of the juco rank so get him a little bit more time but he should start the year in delmarva and i'm excited to see what he's got because the hype continues to grow with him. Yeah, I keep shouting out Eric Garfield over and over again on this episode, but uh, he's coming in clutch with these videos, and training Craig is one of them. Swing looked pretty in the clip that I saw, and yeah, I think they signed him in the 20th last pick of the of their draft, but they gave him over slot, and you can tell they like this kid a lot, and he just missed my top 50 personally. I think actually he was number 51 for me, and uh, just, yeah, John Rhodes also hit that bomb in that one video that – should have gone viral if it didn't because it went over the street. Come on. Yeah, Trendon Craig, I think, really is an intriguing guy. And my pick for this group is someone along those lines, an outfielder with an interesting skill set, and that's Steven Acevedo, who is gonna was at the Florida Complex League last year, probably going to start the season at Loe Del Marva at just 19 years old. At first glance, the stat line with Acevedo, there isn't much to see, but – a lot of reports you get about him are that this is someone who's projectable with above average tools across the board. 
Uh, even as late as August, Kevin Goldstein, uh, in a write-up of the Orioles' farm system, noted Acevedo as perhaps the most notable of the international lottery departments or the international scouting departments, lottery-type players. So in other words, the ones that were not big signing bonus guys and Michael Hernandez's, the Samuel Basayos of the world. Acevedo was signed by the Orioles back in 2019. But I think that there's above-average tools across the board. Um, Eric Garfield had good reports for us on his defense last year. Those reports have been echoed elsewhere. And I think the bat's going to come around a little bit over a longer sample size. So Acevedo very narrowly missed my top 50. And I feel like when we update it um, over the summer, he's definitely going to be in the mix. Yeah, I had him at 43. Um, he just missed our list. I think he would, as far as our cumulative list, I think he was number 51. So, uh, yeah, I think he, on the stat line, he hasn't really put it all together to make someone look at his numbers and say, oh, yeah, this is definitely a guy to watch. But just seeing the videos of him, he's got a really good frame. Seems like he's got all the tools. And like you said, it's just about putting them together. And Delmarva will be a big test if he starts there. Uh, maybe he goes back to the FCL, but... I think this is a name that's going to creep up on people starting uh, as soon as he hits full season ball. I went back and watched a lot of those clips uh, preparing for this, and I realized that I think I messed up, and I really wanted to put Acevedo back in my top 50 just because I think I mentioned last week that I had Luis Gonzalez, Steven Acevedo, and Elio Prado. It was those three guys that I took long looks at. and was, Who do I want in my top 50? Who am I going to leave out? How many of them are, am I going to put in there? And I put Luis Gonzalez over Acevedo personally, just because Gonzalez is the lefty who also has big power. But when you watch Acevedo, like he's listed 6'4", 185. I think that's light. He may be 6'4". I'd say he's an inch taller, probably. 185 is definitely light. This is a big kid, and he doesn't turn 20 until August. So he's going to play pretty much all of next year as a 19-year-old. Um, so if he does start in the FCL, I don't think there's a problem with that. Uh, he can end the year in Delmarva, but plenty of room to grow and get even stronger. So I think that's one of those guys where you see as he progresses up, is he going to be able to get those breaking balls? Is he going to be able to um, you know, overcome that, that massive, powerful swing? But I'm glad you brought up that Kevin Goldstein article because I found that too. I hadn't seen that before. And the first part of that, that sentence, though, where he mentions Acevedo, he does say, Colton Kowser has star level potential. Uh, but then, yeah, he does note that Steven Acevedo is the most interesting lottery ticket that the Orioles have grabbed from the international market. So high praise from outside the organization. Yeah, absolutely. And it's good to see that. So Acevedo and Sid Menson, Kevin Goldstein's not the first one, probably not the last to note Acevedo in that type of context. So definitely a player that should have your eyes on. He narrowly missed our list and uh, could work his way back into the conversation pretty quickly next summer. So we'll, we'll, let me expand on this one point, Nick, that we brought up. I know we talked about it a little bit last week, which is the Elio Prado, Luis Gonzalez, Steven Acevedo mix. Because it's an interesting one because Gonzalez has probably the loudest tool in the group, which is the power. But Acevedo might be the most fundamentally sound across the board. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, just from the videos we've seen, and they're clips. Uh, we haven't seen them live, but I would definitely say he probably has... Yeah, the most advanced skill set. I think Luis Gonzalez is definitely a lot more raw. Uh, and Elio Prado, we just really don't know what we have with Prado because he, I don't think he played at all after the Cashner trade in the organization. I can't remember if he saw any DSL time or not with the Orioles. Maybe a little bit, but if so, that was in the Dominican Summer League. 
2020 doesn't happen and then he missed all year last year with an injury so um we got to wait and see with with prado but acevedo i do think that is that is a pick i hope my hope is that when we go back six months from now or at the end of the year we look back at this list and say man we missed on acevedo i think that could be the case yeah and there's always a part of me when i have a player that's close to the top 50 not that i you know want to completely get it wrong but there's a part of me when i look at the players that are just outside of that ranking makes me think man i hope they're in the top 50 yeah, because it's probably going to be, you know, speaking to a lot of things, you hopefully means the system is progressing well. We get a few players to graduate, which we're probably going to get a lot in 2022. So it's always good to see that kind of thing. And just to go back to Elio Prado for a moment, so far the Orioles have gotten 26 games on field out of Prado uh, officially. He appeared in 26 games in the Dominican Summer League after the Kastner trade. Uh, as Nick mentioned, did not play at all in 2021. But that's going to be a name to watch when he's on the field next year. I would guess that with the time he's missed, he'll be at the Florida Complex League, just 20 years old, um, out of Venezuela. So keep an eye on Prado. I don't know what I missed, but, yeah, I like Prado too. <laughs> so we'll, I'll, I'll go to Bob now for the players that he wanted to highlight that just missed uh, his list over at BSL. Yeah, actually, another one of these guys that's going from FCL to hopefully low A this year, Isaac De Leon, who – Again, Eric Garfield raves about this guy's defensive shortstop smooth, so I really want to see what he can do, get some video on him. And I also just wanted to shout out uh, Billy Cook, another outfielder the Orioles took in the draft last year because Vivek shouted him out in our WhatsApp group about the power that he's shown in college and in the minor leagues just in that short time last year. It was like six home runs in uh, a limited time um, in the minor leagues last year, and I can't remember how many home runs in college, but it was a lot, so – yeah, I mean, maybe that's a guy we're kind of sleeping on with his power potential in the outfield. Yeah, De Leon, I've seen him listed at 6'2", 170, and then I saw Joe Trezza had him in his piece that he did over the summer at 6'3", 210, so kind of all over the place there. Point being that he's a good-sized kid. Again, another 20-year-old in this system who's probably going to be in the uh, Delmarva next year. Good walk numbers, and everything you, every report you read about him says he has the tools to stick at shortstop. And I know, Zach, you've been the one that has said this a few times on the show that you know Joe Trezza doesn't write a piece about him, highlighting him without good reason. I think the Orioles did feed him that name. Joe Trezza noted uh, Orioles minor league follower and Willie Jan stan. Um, <laughs> I think the Orioles did feed him that name as a sign like, hey, there's some talent down here as far as international talent is concerned. Uh, and Orioles fans should be familiar with Isaac De Leon, uh, acquired for, from the Marlins, player to be named later, Richard Blyer trade. Uh, so I think that could end up being a, a fantastic trade, to be completely honest, because you know, listeners of the show know my opinion about relievers uh, on a rebuilding team. But, yeah, definitely interesting. And Cook, I, I did. When Vivek made that comment in the Patreon Slack group, uh, again, come join us. Um, you know, are Orioles fans sleeping on Cook? And I thought about that a lot. And, like, clearly he fits the mold that the Orioles like. He hits the ball very hard. And, yeah, he strikes out a lot, but the Orioles don't really seem to care too much about that right now. Um he can play first base, can play the outfield. I think he just checks all the boxes. And I keep going back to Robert Newstrom and using that as my comparison here. A guy who really wasn't on the map, had some holes in his game, and look what the Orioles were able to do with him last year. Now he's probably going to be in the major leagues this year. So I think Cook is definitely someone to keep an eye on. Am I convinced? Not really yet, but he's definitely someone you don't want to overlook. We need him on the major league team for the puns alone. The reports on Cook's defense have been good going back to the draft, and it stood out to me when he got into the Orioles system this year that 
the power kind of stayed and the stolen bases went way up. He stole 29 bases, or excuse me, 10 stolen bases in 29 games last year and was caught just once after stealing five times in 33 games at Pepperdine during the season. I don't have enough insight into Pepperdine baseball to tell you why or why not he didn't steal more bases, but that's kind of an interesting observation. And, and De Leon, you know, the reports that we have seen, and I know this was mentioned in Joe, Joe Trez's piece as well, is that despite the size right now, there is hope he's going to stick at shortstop. So I think it's definitely a guy that's worth highlighting for this group. We got a lot of those guys. It's a deep system. He's another one of those too. Another guy that seems to be a Kobe Perez favorite. You know, we always talk about Matt Blood's favorites and who he's got that touch for. I think Isaac DeLeon seems to be a name. DeLeon and Michelle Desson are two guys that I think you hear Kobe Perez talk a lot about. Uh, so definitely keep an eye on him next year. I'm anxious to see where he starts the season. And, you know, fan graphs should have the Orioles list coming out here in the next couple of weeks. I'm excited to see where does DeLeon crack Eric Long and Aiken's list, top 30, top 40, because I think, I think he could. I would love to see that. Like we were talking about before the show could be a top 85, top 90. <laughs> we'll see. Um, I guess we should also talk about Creed Willems. He was the last name in my five names to watch out for that could crack the list next year. And kind of along the same lines as Carlos Tavera, as Mike Elias doesn't really draft pitchers uh, high up in the draft. Creed Willems was the only high school player taken in last year's draft out of 21 picks. And he's only the fifth high schooler that Elias has taken in the past three years since he taken, he's taken over. And the other four are Gunnar Henderson, Kobe Mayo, Carter Baumler, and Daryl Hernandez. So he's in good company. And it's just he's like the American Samuel Basalo. He's a young kid who can sit behind the plate for now, at least until he grows out of it, and hit bombs to right field. So think that's definitely someone he'll probably restart uh start back in fcl i'm thinking but i mean it's another good catching prospect in this system i don't know anymore um he's the guy that i need a lot of convincing on to be completely honest and which is weird because i feel like if i remember correctly going back to our day two draft pod with steven loftus uh creed willems was the guy i think we were most excited about we were kind of like what is this group um had a lot of questions there, and now a lot of those questions have been answered, and we're definitely more excited about that group. But my excitement for Willems kind of faded a little bit. I, I just don't like the swing. Uh, I mean, on those clips we saw, I don't know what it is exactly, but I think he could have trouble as he moves up. But you mentioned those high school picks that he joins. That class he's a part of is pretty elite group of prospects. He hits the ball extremely hard. I know when they had him in the workout before the draft, he was hitting bombs onto Utah Street as some like 16, 17-year-old kid with a wooden bat. That's impressive. Um, so I'm intrigued for now. I don't know if he stays behind the plate. And also, I just think Michael Elias has this like vendetta out against TCU baseball program because he's taken Carter Baumler and Creed Willems from him. So I don't know what somebody at TCU did to Michael Elias, but you might want to uh, fix that real quick if you want to compete in the Big 12. I had Willems towards the back part of my list. It's just interesting to see that combination of left-handed power um, and, you know, right now behind the plate, he's got a pretty good arm. Mind you, he was, I think, 92, 94 off the mound in high school as a pitcher. So interesting arm. I don't know how his defense is going to project long term. There's a very real possibility that he does move out from behind the plate. But I want to see what the bat does. And I think to your point, Nick, maybe the fading enthusiasm, did that have anything to do with the 
fast. We just didn't see much of Willems last summer, only 10 games in the FCL. I mean, maybe a little bit, but, uh... But again, like when I watch his swing, for whatever reason, I'm not a scout. I don't. I could be completely wrong here. I probably am completely wrong here. Um, I just, I just don't like the swing. That that's the sticking point for me. But I want to see it in games, though. Like that's the thing. We haven't watched him play in full games across full season. That could completely change my mind, and I hope he does. But he's he's one of the more intriguing, I'll say, prospects in the system for me. Yeah, that's a good point, Zach. I think for me personally, maybe it is the fact that. He only got 22 at-bats or something like that, and it was sparingly. It wasn't like he played for a week straight. It like, looked like he got into a game, then three days went by, he got into another game. Just There's no way he could get into a rhythm. But if he came out and got like 50 at-bats and had some excellent numbers, maybe be a little more excited about him. But either way, we didn't get a chance to see him live, so it's tough. I think, like we've said numerous times, once we can get video on these guys, then we can really make a more educated opinion on them. But we'll see. Very young high school kid. The Orioles gave a lot of money to So that alone, I think, speaks volumes of how the organization views him, which is obviously more important than how I view them. So I'm going to trust Michael Elias there. So we got a listener question here from uh, Carl. Rock, um, Rock and a speaker at the Storebirds hot stove dinner, um, not Rock, predicted that uh, Cesar Prieto would start the season at Delmarva. You guys agree. I'll uh, let Bob start this one out. I could see that happening. I mean, he's just coming over. He hasn't played ball in a while because he defected um, a while ago, I'm pretty sure. So, yeah, maybe you start him at Delmarva where, you know, we can just get a baseline, get him some confidence of where his skills are at right now. And he can move super quickly. He could move up to, I almost said Frederick. Wow, it's been over a year. Uh, He can move up to Aberdeen after like two or three weeks and then just go from there. He could then move up to Billy a month later. You never know. So, I would have no problem if they started him at Delmarva, but we'll see. Maybe minor league spring training, he comes in and impresses more than they expect, and he starts higher. Yeah, I mean, you probably see Hernandez uh, and Norby, and you got Servideo as well, who you'd like to see at least two of those guys. Servideo missed so much time, maybe he misses a little bit or starts the year in Delmarva to begin, but you got a lot of guys moving up to Aberdeen, so I could see maybe starting him in Delmarva like you said, just to get his feet wet and because let the log jam up top in Aberdeen clear itself out a little bit, figure out what you got there, where you want to play guys best, and then insert Pareto. But regardless, he's still a high floor prospect that could be in the, if all goes right, could be in the major leagues in 2023. So definitely someone to be really excited about going into next season. Yeah, I think if he ends up in Delmarva, it's not going to be for very long. Like Nick said, let him, you know, like Nick and Bob both said, let him get his feet wet. Let the log jam above him clear up a little bit. If I had to guess, I would say he's going to start higher right now. That's based really on feeling and just the fact that you do have some infielders that are going to be on the Delmarva roster and on the Aberdeen roster, and it's going to be a real challenge to get them at bats. But you know, as we saw last year, sometimes for better or worse, these things have a way of evening out in the end. So I think that if he does end up at Delmarva to start the year, it's going to be for a very short period of time before he's in Aberdeen because this is a player with a high floor who has the experience in Cuba that probably can move quickly next year and is going to, I think, will end the season in the high minors if all goes as expected. He's got a high floor. He's got high hair. So the sky's the limit. I mean, they had him in that camp like the day after he signed. 
two days later, Monday morning, he was in Sarasota working out with the team. So he's down there right now. Yeah, he's he's ready to go. He's rolling. The Orioles are getting early look at him, so he's got plenty of time to to show this organization what he's got, which I think could help him out. So maybe Rock got early word from somebody who's down in Sarasota, which would make sense. But he's going to have so much time before minor league spring training starts, which is still you know five six weeks away at least. I think that's going to work to his advantage. So speaking of 2022, we'll transition to the last part of the show here. Let's talk about the 2022 minor league coaching staffs. Which the Orioles announced last week. We've tweeted it out. It's on the Orioles website. So we're not going to run down the entire list of coaching staffs for 2022. But a few trends that jump out at me. Number one, we continue to see what has been going on in minor league baseball for a while now, which is that your coaching staff is much broader than the traditional manager, pitching coach, hitting coach now. You have fundamentals coaches. You have four or five people on your coaching staff before you even get to the training um, strength and conditioning staff. Uh, the other thing, too, is kind of some younger, analytically inclined guys the Orioles have brought in, um, either over the offseason or that have been in the system for a while, that are moving up, and some guys that have been in the system for a while that are continuing to advance. Buck Britton makes a jump from Bowie to Norfolk, which was expected. Justin Ramsey is joining him, and Tim Gibbons, who, you know, seem to be doing good things at Norfolk last year. We'll be back there as a hitting coach. That's just part of the announcement, though. That's what stood out to me. But I'll let Bob start with this one here. Going down the list of coaches as you see them for you know, next season, any particular staff stand out to you? Triple uh, A is just loaded with talent. I mean, like you mentioned, Tim Gibbons, they sent him down to the AFL, so clearly they, they love what he's doing with Ryan Fuller. Um and Justin Ramsey's a wizard. We know that. So, of course, the AAA staff's going to be lightning. Kevin Smith is going to figure everything out and be up at the major leagues by June if they're playing baseball by then. Um, and Buck Britton could potentially be in line for at least an interview if uh, if there's a manager change at the major league level. But I like Ryan Conray, pitching coach at uh, AA Bowie now, who I feel like Zach Peek has mentioned as helping him out a lot. Um I just love seeing the former players get, you know, groomed, especially Jalen Ferguson. That was a cool story to read about how they kept in touch with him. And then once the season was over, asked him what he thought about coming on. So I like that, you know, they're teaching these players and these guys analytics. And, you know, just because they they don't make it as far as baseball goes, doesn't mean they're not learning these things and excelling at teaching. So I love that. And uh, just shout out to Connor Newcomb. Locked on Orioles had a great podcast going over every single uh, hiring that they that the Orioles made. That's a definitely a podcast you want to listen to. Uh, going back to what Lamar Sparks said, like there are guys, it's not just like one hitting coach that these players are going to work with uh, that's going to try to work on their entire swing. Like there are guys in this organization that are going to break it down. You have the guy for more strength, more exit field, the guy for swing play, like Sparks was talking about, the guy that does just base running. Um, but when you look at these staffs, just so young, some of these photos, it looks like a, a college <laughs> baseball roster. Um, and they look like they're barely 25 years old, but the resumes are impressive when you dive into these men and women. Um, I'm fascinated by Aberdeen staff for a couple of reasons. I do think Norfolk, that's an all-star coaching roster up there. But I'm most fascinated by Aberdeen just for a few reasons. Like I think Robert Mercado, the, the new manager there, um, coming from the high school ranks, Cape Cod ranks, 
he was personally, I don't know if you guys read Rock's uh, article on him this morning, but it was Tim Corbin, the guy in charge at Vanderbilt, who tipped off Matt Blood to him and said, like, <laughs> this is a guy you might want to get. And then Tim Dijon, guest of the show, check out that interview we did with him a couple weeks ago. He also recommended Mercado, uh, knowing him. So I think that's the one we could play. We should pay uh, close attention to. Um, and Forrest Herman, the pitching coach, new pitching coach in Aberdeen, came over from the Reds, worked with Kyle Bodie over at Driveline, uh, seems to be a young up-and-coming uh, pitching guru down there in this system. Uh, I'm excited to see what he can do. I think Delmarva's staff is also interesting because you saw a lot of guys come up from the DSL and the FCL that are going to be in Delmarva next year. So I think that's going to help with the transition of these international prospects, these young 19-year-olds. Um, and my favorite on this list is uh, Daniel Fajardo, who is on Delmarva's staff. <laughs> if you, former catcher in the Orioles system, if I made a list of my top five favorite Orioles prospects since I got into this in 2016, Daniel Fajardo is one of my top three favorites. Um, I think he's going to be a great asset to young players in the system, especially the catchers. Uh, and yeah, Conway, pitching coach and Bowie, we like predictions. Uh, let's go into the coaching prediction of business. I think he's going to be the star of 2022. You're going to see Zach Peak hit Bowie uh, and go off. You're going to see that group, the Griffin McClarty, Noah DeNoyer, that whole group that was in Aberdeen last year, someone in that group is going to really break out. And it's going to be a lot of thanks to, to Conway there and Bowie. And that's going to be the new guy who we, we hype up a lot next year. But we could do four hours I feel like, <laughs> on this stuff. And I just love that the coaches are kind of moving up with the players. Like there will be some consistency there. It's not a guarantee, but like you said, Ryan Conroy moving up there, the Zach Peaks, the Brandon Youngs of the world will move up with him, if not right away, eventually. Same with AAA. And, and I kind of like that. So even though there's consistency between staffs, it is probably – beneficial to the players to have a familiar face and voice uh, in the dugout every night with them. And Lamar Sparks said it best. Uh, and maybe, maybe a certain beat writer should, should listen to that interview <laughs> when he said like former players, his friends that are coaching in the system. Now you're Becker, you got Jalen Ferguson, you got Fajardo, you got Colin Murray is also coaching. Uh, there may be some others we missed. There's so many now uh, the players still respect those guys. And if, if someone like Colin Woody or Daniel Fajardo says, hey, you need to do this. This will work. This will help you. Those young players are going to listen to those guys, first and foremost. They're going to have a lot of respect for their former teammates. So I think it, it works well. And moving guys up a level, you're going to have Grayson – well, Grayson Rodriguez working with Patch, or Justin Ramsey in Norfolk is a different story. But you're <laughs> going to have these guys move up levels that had so much success in AA and Aberdeen. They're moving up with the coaches. It's this one cohesive unit. That's what this entire system is. And it's really fun to see. Yeah, after talking to Lamar Sparks, um, a move that had jumped out to me when this was announced last week resonated even more, and that was Brandon Becker going up from the Florida Complex League where he was a hitting coach last year to be the hitting coach of Bowie this year. 17th rounder by the Orioles in the 2015 draft and ended up playing in the farm system through the 2019 season. He was actually supposed to start as a coach in 2020 um, with Aberdeen before that season was canceled. Based off of our conversation with um, Lamar, this sounds like a guy who, one, buys into the analytics um, that the Orioles are instilling their hitters, the approach they're instilling, and that he knows how to sell it, which is really key for these hitters. And the other thing, too, is you can tell that Lamar has a lot of respect for him. And I'm sure he's not alone. So I'm really interested to see what he does at the AA level next year. Yeah, clearly he taught Colton Kowser everything he knew. Got look how good he did in the FCL. I mean, it's all up to Brandon Becker. No, uh, it's it's definitely a cool cool story. The way the Orioles are handling everything, I love it. 
So before we wrap up here, just um, any final thoughts on this group, Nick or Bob? Just excited to see see how it goes this year. I'm just excited for baseball in general. So coaches, players, I don't know, uh, music in the <laughs> coming out of the speakers. Let's go. I'm ready. Yeah, I, I just think that that's one area. Look, at, I was trying to do a little bit more research going into the show about more of these guys, and there's so many uh, that it was difficult to do over the, just one weekend. Um, I think this is a group that fans, if you're into this, if you're listening to the show, you're clearly a nut job like us who is obsessed <laughs> with Orioles minor league baseball and we love you. But I think as much time and energy as we focus on the players, like we need to be putting a lot more of that energy into this coaching staff as well. Cause there are some, some real studs uh, and guys and women who are going to, they're helping create this culture. They're helping create this future product that I think a lot of Orioles fans are going to be proud of in a couple of years. They're just as big a part of, as the players. And I think kudos to this, uh, the front office, your Matt Blood, who seems to be putting this staff together himself. Um, he's putting together a good group of guys. So I think it's going to be 2022 could be another huge step for this organization. He's got blood on his hands. And we will be looking forward to following the 2022 season here at On the Verge. Um, we will be back with a new show next week. We might have a special guest uh, joining us. So stay tuned for news on that. In the meantime, check out BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com for all the latest pieces on uh, college sports, the NFL. There's some Oriole, new Orioles content on the site as well. Uh, be sure to hop on the message board, join and discuss them with fellow readers and writers at the site. In addition, follow us on Twitter at BSL on the Birds. We'll have uh, new content posted there between now and next week's show where we will hopefully be joined by a special guest and we'll have some info out on social media here in the coming days about that. So for Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Spedden. You've been listening to On the Verge.